The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Well, I think one thing everyone can agree on, one thing we all have in common, is that somehow, at some point, in some way, we're all going to suffer. You're like, well, that's a happy way to start a Christmas message. But come on, it's, uh, it's honest, right? How many of you, <laughs> I don't need to be a prophet, some of you have had disappointment in your lives, you know? Um, you're going to have disappointment in your life. Shocking when you're young, but um, life will be disappointing. Can you think of disappointments in your education or your career? Things you were hoping for you didn't achieve? We all suffer. How about pain in our relationships? Whoa, that's like the, that's where you grow suffering most easily. Do you have relationships where there's pain, awkwardness, hurt, loss? Many in our church know you, we suffer in our health. Our bodies break down. Breaks our hearts to see this, to experience this. Um, we could go on and on. I don't know what it is for you this morning, what hurts the most, what stings the most, what's uh, most disappointing for you, but I bet you have something. And if you don't, what's the old saying? Just wait longer. Um, And you will. Or just watch the news and think of everybody else's. Um, One thing we all have in common in suffering. Uh, Another thing we all have in common is the struggle for hope in suffering. The struggle to keep finding strength, to keep going, to keep thinking there's a reason to keep enduring hope. Is there something good around the corner? Because some of us know, right, suffering can go on and on and on. And what tends to happen? I'm going to get discouraged. I lose hope. I don't know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think one of humanity's favorite illustrations for this struggle, we suffer, we're looking for hope, is that of the sunrise. You find it in songs, you find it in books, you find it in poems, you find it in scripture. But it's easy to understand the illustration. What does night stand for? Well, it's dark. So there's a confusion. I can't see. I don't know what's coming. Is there going to be a resolve? Um, It's lonely at night. Nobody understands. Nobody's with me. I'm by myself in this. You ever felt that way in your suffering? It's dark. It's lonely. It's cold. There's, there's enemies lurking out there. And it feels like it'll never end. Have you ever had to stay up all night with some huge struggle? And you just, is, it, is the sun ever going to come up? You imagine an ancient soldier standing watch, and his, he's got the last watch of the night, and he keeps checking his sundial on his wrist, which doesn't work because it's dark. Will the sun ever come up? And then, of course, sunrise. What a great illustration of it was so dark that I see the glow and the lights coming and the heat and the truth and the the salvation, the happy ending to the story. Sunrise, right? A great illustration for hope and suffering. But a question we need to ask this morning is, is that whole sunrise thing, that whole sunrise motif actually true? You think of your challenges, your suffering, your despair, You want to have hope in it, hope that there will be a sunrise, but will there? Is it true? I guess another question we're really asking here is, is God going to show up for you in the darkness? Wouldn't it be neat in some of these things if he just showed up like in power and just defeated your enemies, restored the health, fixed the problem, just... Don't you kind of still hope for the easy button, like, explosion of God's salvation in circumstances in your life? The diagnosis, you're healed, we can't explain it. Oh, here's a a raise. Just some sort of resolve that just works itself out. Do you ever long for God to show up for you like that? Sometimes he does, right? Wouldn't some of you have some stories on how God showed up for you in times in your life? But sometimes... Sometimes you pray and it feels like the prayer has uh, weights on them and they just hit the ground as soon as they're out of your mouth. How many of you have ever wondered if God is actually listening to some of these prayers? You've been praying for people in your life, you've been praying for your own situations and you're just like, 
I'm not even getting an echo. Is there really going to be a sunrise? Well, here at Fountain of Life, we have been exploring Luke's accounts, uh, or we're going to be exploring Luke's accounts of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Uh, as we approach Christmas, we'll be going through Luke 1 to 2. And last week, we just did verses 1 to, 1 to 4. It was important because there Luke insisted that we can have certainty as to the stories he's telling us. They're historically true. So if you have doubts about that, I think a message is on the website. You can check that out. But, but he, he worked really hard to say this is verifiable history. There's witnesses. This is true. You can believe it. In fact, he says you can have certainty that these things are true. So this week, we start considering the stories he's going to tell us that he wants us to know that are true and what we can learn from them. And what we're going to see here today, we're going to look at the story of uh, Zacharias, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we're going to see just... Normal good folks, okay? Normal good folks enduring quite a bit of darkness and wondering if the sun will ever rise for them, if there's hope to be had. Will God ever show up? So we're gonna hear their story and we're gonna see the sunrise that did happen for them and that we share in as well. So we're gonna walk through their story in three scenes. we're going to see what happened to him, but we don't just want it to be history, because Luke isn't writing just history, he's also writing an invitation. So what does that mean for you? The last thing I want you to do is, is go home and be like, oh, I learned four interesting facts about Zachariah who lived 2,000 years ago. You know, it's kind of like, I watched a documentary on the History Channel, okay? This is not just a history lesson, it's an invitation. How will you handle the darkness you're walking through? What do you believe in? What are you looking to? What does it mean to be faithful? So I encourage you, look for something. What is God saying to you from this passage? Let's be open to that as we walk through this together. So scene one. Scene one. And I'd I'd title this scene like this. Even good people have to wait out the night. That's scene one. Even good people have to wait out the night. Let's look at Luke verses one five to seven. You there with me? One, five to seven, I hope you follow along. That's page 855 in the chair Bibles. So I'll start at verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. So what do you notice about this couple to begin? He's a priest, so he'd be, he'd be respected in the community for sure, but there's also thousands of those. So he's not like a, an A-list name. He's not a celebrity. He's not a superhero. He's just a, you could say he's a normal good guy. And what do we know about his wife? Her name's Elizabeth, wonderful name, consecrated to God, and she's from the daughters of Aaron, so she's of the priestly tribe as well. So you got priest husband, priest wife, and what does the text say about him in verse six? They were both what? They're both righteous. So Luke says, hey, I've heard accounts of these folks. Let me tell you, these are good folks. They're righteous before God. They walk blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody was telling a story about you, we were investigating you, and all the witnesses says, you know what, they weren't famous, but they were faithful. They were legit. They, you know, the, that person might say, I'm not saying they're perfect, but I'm saying they had a legit faith in God, they loved God, they kept his commands. That's Luke verses five, one verses five to seven. So they're regular good folks, but what else is going on in their lives? Look with me at verse five, in the days of who? Herod, now you remember anything about him? He's known for his humanitarian efforts, his compassion, a politician in the spirit of Reagan and Thatcher. No, he, he's horrid. Um, he's basically a false messiah, but he's under the, under the thumb of Rome, which is dominating Israel. So. How many of you, between the last couple of elections, whatever side of the aisle you tend to sit on, you had some anxiety about the future of the country because you were like, oh no, it's all gonna get worse if A, B, or C takes place. 
And you might be sitting there going, oh, I can relate with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And let me just tell you right now, you cannot relate to Zachariah and Elizabeth. You can't relate. The worst we've ever experienced in this country is absolutely nothing compared to what they experienced in first century Palestine. When Rome would take over a city, sometimes they would crucify people and put them on each side of the road. So that as you walked in, you could see what it's like when you don't follow along with Rome. Um, is that a darkness of kind of a big picture? What's it like to live in a situation like that, a setting like that? You know, later on in this story, right, when Herod finds out the baby Jesus is born, what's he want to do to all the other two-year-olds in uh, Bethlehem? Kill them. That's the world they lived in. I can't even understand what kind of a darkness that would be to live in a situation like that. Can you? They're living in darkness. They're waiting out. What do you think their prayers are? The prayers of Israel as they sit in this kind of injustice and corruption and domination. Save us. How long is it going to be? Save us. Not only did they have big picture darkness, they had personal darkness What's the struggle for them in verse 7? Do you see it? Luke 1, verse 7. But they had no, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. That, hit, that hits home. Um, in any time, in any culture, that is a painful, painful thing. The inability to have children deserves a lot of compassion. Maybe even worse at their time, it was, there was a stigma that went with it. There was a stigma. So there was this belief that um, in the old covenant, if, if you were faithful and God loved you, you'd have lots of kids, which it was one of those proverbial things generally true in the old covenant. But can you think of any old covenant heroes that had a problem with this? It seems to be like a common motif, right? Abraham and Sarah, no. Isaac, no, Hannah, no, it goes on and on. Um, but there was a stigma. So, so here you got these good regular folks. They love God. They're serving God. And, and they live under this epic burden of their time and place in history. They also live under this personal burden. Number one, they have this huge heartache. They can't have any kids. Huge heartache. That would be enough by itself. Not only that, in their society, they live under the stigma of everybody's like, something's wrong with you. You don't love God, you don't follow God, you don't trust God. God, God doesn't like you because you don't have kids. Have you ever been in a setting where there was a stigma about you based on one thing or another and you were looked down upon by everyone and you could kind of hear the comments simmering in the background? <laughs> Is that a lot of fun? That's darkness. That's darkness. And what can they do about it? Nothing. But that's the point of this scene. Even good people have to wait out the night. Even good people. So, newsflash, you know, if you watch the wrong TV preachers, you might come up with the idea that when you give your life to Jesus or you go to church, what's going to happen in your life? Roses and lottery tickets, right? Just everything will, everything will be great. No more night. Um, this text, Luke is making very plain, right? How does he view Zachariah and Elizabeth? They're righteous. And what happens to them? They're suffering. Sometimes good people have to wait out the night. Night being that darkness, that loneliness, the confusion. Is there any hope? So maybe you're in a time like that. When you're suffering, isn't it true you can feel alone sometimes? What is just one thing to take home with you? If you're suffering, does it mean if you're suffering, does it mean that God doesn't love you or that he's not pleased with you? No. In fact, you're not alone at all. It's very common. Everybody has to wait out the night. There's night. There's darkness. Even for good folks, we're wondering if the sun will rise. Let's hit scene two. We'll start with verse eight. So that's the background on these folks, and now we get to see this amazing day in Zechariah the priest's life. Look at verses 8 to 10 with me. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So uh, what season of life is Zachariah in at this point? He's old. He's withered up. He's on the back end. I know most of you can't relate. on the back end. He's rolling down the hill at a high rate of speed. And all of a sudden, shocker, you know, there's there's thousands of priests and the lots would be rolled, decide who gets to do what in the priestly service. So I think it's two weeks a year his tribe would be in charge of whatever it is. And so on this day, of all days, jackpot, the lottery priesthood, this is your ultimate hope as a priest. He gets rolled, he's the guy who gets to go in to the holy, the, the holy place. There's only one room he's not going to be in, the holy of holies. But he's, this job he gets to do, he's one curtain outside of that. And he gets to go, and he gets to take this, this kind of bronze bowl of these coals, and he gets to go into the altar that's in this second most holy room in the temple. Only the high priest goes in the next room. He gets to go in this holy room, and right there by the altar, he gets to stir these coals up and put the incense on it. It would make a cloud right there in the holy place. And that cloud would represent the prayers of God's people, and that God hears them in his holiness. And so this is the job that, as a priest, you could go your whole life and never get this role, never see it. And if you did get to do it, the the law was you only get to do it once. It's so special. So this is a room he's never been in. It's a room he's never going to go into again. This is the highlight of his career as a priest. This is it. This is your dream when you're a kid being like, I hope I get to. He gets, this is it right here. This is the moment. So he gets to go in, and, and you didn't stay very long because you were afraid. Because that's what happens with holiness, right? We like to think of God as our buddy. Look, he is a friend, but he's holy. And the closer you get to holiness, the more you get revealed as not being holy, and the scarier that is. And so he's, he's tiptoeing in to this holy room with these coals, and he's lighting up the incense, and it stands for the prayers of God's people. And I can, it seems like he and Elizabeth have a good thing going, right? They're good folks. Can't you hear him in his, you hear his thoughts in his mind? I can't wait to tell Elizabeth about this. Or maybe she's there, because part of the tradition was this crowd of people would wait outside the temple, and when he was done with his role, he'd get to go out and say the special blessing to the crowd. So maybe she's there in the crowd, probably so, praying with the people. So he's just like, wow, cloud nine. And as amazing as that is, that's absolutely nothing in comparison to what happens next. Look at verse 11. In your Bibles, verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I feel like in our culture, we always have to kind of relearn what angels are. What do you think angels are? If you go to Barnes and Noble or something, you get naked babies with wings and bows and arrows. And you might want like a collectible angel. Any of you have collectible angels? Look, I'm not, I'm not judging you. But just know, real angels aren't collectible. Uh, you know, our culture is huge into aliens. You know anybody like that? I have friends who are huge into aliens, evidence of aliens. Lots of people are, evidently. Millions of dollars, actually, are spent on this. And on the off chance that some of you have heard of this, what is, it, what is it with aliens we're so into? There's this otherworldly presence, right? And they, um, they're above us in, in intelligence. That's part of it, right? Super intelligent. And they're, and they're yet, they're still personal. So in other words, nobody's dreaming about a movie of like the alien cow who lives on another planet, but it's just a cow. We're not interested in that. He's personable. Um, Extra us, more than us, more powerful than us. And so when we finally have contact, right, how many movies are there about this? What is this longing in the human heart, this contact with somebody who's more personal than us, greater than us, stronger than us, and how do we feel? Okay? If you're, if you're Zachariah and you're standing here and you're burning incense, he did not see a fat baby with wings. Um, 
Luke, Luke gives you words like, and he was troubled and fear fell, fell, upon, fell, upon, fear fell upon him. That word troubled is like, he's absolutely terrified. It's a very strong word. His knees are knocking. He can't function. And, and then the next word is, fear fell upon him. It like took possession of him. Fear owned him in that moment. He's absolutely, he's petrified. He, he does not know what to do because he is looking at someone who's bigger, stronger, smarter, personal, looking right back at him. He's terrified. That's what happens nearly any time somebody sees an angel in the Bible. It's awe-inspiring. To make it even crazier, later we learned that this angel has a name. His name's Gabriel. And he hasn't been around for about 500 years that we know of. But about 500 years ago, the same angel was talking to a man named Daniel about how the promised king was going to come during the reign of Rome. It's an old angel, a strong angel, a wise angel who's kind of coming to finish what he started 500 years or something later. I was telling some friends earlier, he's not just an angel who's terrifying, he's an angel with a message. I think this is the, ter- the scariest part is verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. You can imagine going into this holy room and maybe you interrupt an angel because he's in there doing stuff. And you're like, oh, my bad. You know, angel business. But when the angel comes and he says your name, oh, what's up? The dice rolled just right to get me into this room. And then this angel who I've heard about in the Bible, I've heard, he's heard about Gabriel. That guy comes to visit me, and he knows my name. Where is a rock under which I can hide? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Just another one. Why does, why does Gabriel have to say, don't be afraid? <laughs> Chill out, bro. It's okay. If I was going to kill you, I would have done it already. <laughs> don't be afraid. And then he's got a message, a message. Listen to this. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Can you imagine what this would be like? You need to imagine it. You're visited by this supernatural being, and he actually tells you all those prayers you thought that were just hitting the ground and rolling around, all the prayers you thought and nothing ever happened, nothing ever changed, all those prayers, we heard them. We've been listening the whole time. Your prayer has been heard. Really? Really? Which prayer, I wonder? You can think of prayers on two levels from this guy, and it goes with Herod and the baby. What, what have Zachariah and Elizabeth been praying their whole life? Can we have a baby, please? Come on, we love you. Can you please give us a baby? Your word says these things. Can we have a baby, please? Lord, it's not bad, right, to want a baby? Please, can we have a baby? How many times? How many prayers? And then you reach a certain age and a little past that certain age, and hey, they don't have a PhD in biology, but they know what goes on. Don't you think they quit praying for the baby? I do. They quit praying. They prayed for it before, but they, they quit praying. That one's, that one's done. That one's over. Another prayer he's been praying, we know from the job he has, is he's praying for the people. He's praying, hey, God, all your promises about a Messiah who's going to come and save us from Rome and bring us back to you and change our hearts and make us who we're supposed to be, let's go. Please come. Save us. Come. Hear our prayers. And again on the news, Rome kills more people. Again on the news, all our leaders are corrupt. Again, we see God doesn't seem to be acting. It's dark. It's night. The sun's never going to rise. Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard. Which ones, prayer for the baby or prayer for the nation to be changed? Both. 
Which ones? Prayers for the epic church. We need you, God, save us. Or prayers for your life, your circumstance. Please help me here. Both. I love this. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Will you walk through some of that with me? You're going to have a son. What's the son's name going to be? John. John means God is gracious. He shows up for his people who need him. Second, what will Zachariah and Elizabeth have because they have this boy? You'll have joy. You're going to be so happy. There's going to be a sunrise for you right here. You're going to have joy because he will be great. He will be great. We need to think a little bit about the greatness of John the Baptist. That's who we're talking about. Jesus said in Matthew 11, nobody ever was greater than John. Nobody ever. So it makes you think, why why was John great? Was he great because he's a celebrity? It's funny, modern celebrities, I'm not sure what some of them are great for. You ever notice this? They're famous, and they're on every magazine cover, and we're like, what did you do except make, like, the duck face? And we're all like, whoa, buy another copy. Great. John's different. He is famous. He's infamous. He's going to get killed by a king. He's, he's going to have crowds following him. But he is actually great. He's great in his character. He was a great person, a great person to be with in his mind, in his heart, the way he acted, what he said. He was great because he was set apart to God. Amazingly. Did you see what he's going to be filled with even in the womb? The Holy Spirit. That says a lot about a lot of things. But just the fact that this little not fully developed John already is full of the Holy Spirit before he's born That's amazing. That's great. We'll see more of what that looked like next week. He's great because he's set apart to God. Did you see the part about his cool hair and the fact that he doesn't drink wine? Um, This gives echoes of like what it meant to be a Nazarite. So in the in the Torah, if you were gonna, you could do it for a time. You could do it for years, where you were gonna be set apart to God, so you wouldn't cut your hair, you wouldn't drink wine. These are outward signs of an inward thing going on, where you were saying, "I am uniquely and specifically set apart for God alone," and everybody's gonna see it. I belong to Him. He is what I am all about. And so that part is the angel is saying he's going to be uniquely set apart to God, full of the Holy Spirit. Great. Not only that, he's gonna be great in his influence. Uh, we heard John was going to look like a previous apostle. Who's that? You remember? He'll come in the power of Elijah. What was Elijah all about? Back in Elijah's day, the nation was full of idolatry, and Elijah's passion and his goal and his hope was what? Come back. Come back to the God of your fathers. Leave all this stuff behind. Come back. He'll lead the people in repentance, Gabriel says. He'll turn the people's Hearts back to God. Do you see those wonderful phrases like, fathers' hearts will go back to their children? John's influence will be so great that as people repent, it'll change their home life. Um, One of my theories is that a huge dark spot on the face of the entire world is when fathers' hearts aren't inclined to their children. It's a source of more poverty, more disease, more corruption than we can imagine. And when people repent, the angel says, when John comes, he's great, he's going to have such a great influence, that dads will all of a sudden be thinking about, what about the hearts of my kids before God? What do I do for my family? It's going to change things. It's going to say that people will turn to the wisdom of the wise. People are going to come together due to the influence of John. People are going to go to church, basically. They're going to want to hear the Bible. They want to grow in it together. 
What a great leader, what a great man. And, and best of all, he's gonna be great because he's preceding the summing of someone, he's preceding the coming of someone even greater. And who's that? Well, you, you already know the Sunday school answer, but don't treat, okay? Some of you said Jesus, and of course, you're totally right. But what you need to remember is that believers at this time, they wouldn't have put Jesus' name on it quite yet. They would have said, who's gonna come? The Lord is going to come. The Lord is going to come. God is going to come. The prophet will come, and then God will come. God will visit us. And Gabriel said, that's your boy, man. That's your boy. Now, I don't know any dad who hasn't been super proud of his boy, and I think all my boys are gonna be superheroes because I'm their dad. But I never had an angel come to me and be like, your boy, great with a capital G. So great. What more could you want, man? That's awesome. Amazingly, look at verse 18. What's Zachariah's response? Zechariah said, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Here's maybe one of the most surprising skeptics in the history of the Bible, in the history of the world. Now, if you were just Zechariah's buddy, and you're like, you know what? I still think there's hope. You could have a baby. Zechariah, Elizabeth would probably kill you, right? Get out of my house. I can understand why I wouldn't believe that. But imagine this priest. What stories has this guy read and taught to everyone else? Yeah, we could go on and on. Well, there's a God who created the world by the word of his power, and he can do everything. Has Zechariah taught and believed that? Yep. Oh, and Abraham, he couldn't have any kids, and Sarah, they were too old. But what did God do? Gave him a son, kept his promises. Don't you know that, Israel? Zechariah's taught this. He's preached a sermon and Hannah, and blah, 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 and the Exodus, and et cetera. Oh, and he's read Daniel. He's, he's reading Daniel a lot right now because we're waiting for the Messiah to come. Everybody has Daniel on their minds. And he's heard of Gabriel, okay? And it's one thing to hear about Gabriel. How about you guys? I don't think, to my knowledge, any of you have met Gabriel personally. If you have, let me know. Um, but do you believe in Gabriel? Do you believe the Bible? Do you think he's real? Do you think he really did this? I do. You think he's out there somewhere doing whatever he's doing? I do, I believe that. What if you met him and he talked to you? Here's the priest with all this knowledge, all this faith, all this belief, and he just met the angel he's studied about. And the angel's given him all these biblical things on like your guy that, hey, this is not a surprise. Yeah, it's a surprise that it's happening now, but it's not a surprise that it's happening. God has promised every one of these things. You're waiting for them. It's happening to you. And what is Zachariah saying? I don't think so. I don't think so. We should pause right here for a second. What's the difference between your formal theology and your practical theology? You know the difference? Zechariah's formal theology, Zechariah, what do you believe? God is all-powerful and he can do anything and he's gonna keep all his promises and old, even old women can have babies. And then Gabriel meets him and says, it's gonna happen right here. And Zechariah's like, I don't think so. Okay. What do you believe on Sunday mornings? What do you sing? We're your church. You filled us with your spirit. We're gonna fight our sin. We're gonna live for you. We're gonna share the gospel. We're gonna love our neighbor. We're gonna live sacrificially for Jesus. Did you know that's about you? Do you believe that formally? Yeah, it's true. Do you believe it practically? As in, do you live it? Do you believe God wants to use you to share the gospel with people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ? You probably believe it right here sitting on this chair. I'd like to know if you believe it tomorrow at 12 at lunch when you're sitting with them. Do you still believe it? This text pushes us, right? Because we're looking at Zechariah going, come on, man, even I, if I was talking to Gabriel, I think I'd believe that. This text pushes you to go, Check on the difference between your formal theology, the stuff you know, the blanks you can fill in, and how you're living right now. Let's live it. It's real. And we get to see the great example next week in Mary, the teenage girl who has more faith than the old priest. Don't you love it? Anyway, moving on. This scene is about how God's word is true, even in the darkness. 
This scene is meant to show us that despite the night, God's word comes true. First scene was, hey, even good people have to wait through the darkness. Second scene is, despite the darkness, even in the midst of the night, God's word comes true. Gabriel's not really, he's not really into Zachariah's doubt. Look at verse 19, chapter one, verse 19. The angel answered him. What's he say? I love this. I'm Gabriel. That ought to be enough. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent by whom? I was sent by God to speak to you and bring you this good news. Let me translate for you. You have no stinking excuse for your doubt. Do you know who I am? And then look at this. It's a little loving discipline. Hey, does God love Zechariah? You bet. Is Zechariah going to come around? Absolutely. Have you ever had moments of weak faith just like Zechariah? Yeah, me too. But a little loving discipline. Look at this. Verse 20. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. There's a consequence for his doubt. And what is it? He can't speak, and probably he can't hear as well. And the reason some commentators think that, and I think it as well, is because later on when people want to communicate, they have to make signs to him. And I don't think you do that when someone can hear. So this is amazing. What has he done with God's word? He won't hear it. Guess what he won't be able to do? Hear it all. And because he's, been, because he's been given God's word and he won't believe it, when he goes back out to bless the people, guess what he won't be able to do? Gabriel just stuck a plug in his hypocrisy. You don't believe it? You can't preach it. It's amazing. So you imagine Zechariah watch, walking out back to the people, and they're all waiting for his little mini-sermon he's going to give. And Elizabeth's there, maybe, like, and he's like, Kind of like when you read kid books, you know? What does a dog say? Bark. What does a snake say? We even say at our house. What does a giraffe say? Exactly what Zachariah says. Nothing. Nothing. What's Gabriel's point? Gabriel's word is you won't be able to speak. Zachariah goes out there. What can he not do? Speak. What happens when Gabriel talks? It comes true. What's gonna happen with all the other promises despite the doubt? It comes true. God's word comes true. Well, evidently, Zachariah could talk enough when he got home to say to Mary, Elizabeth, sorry, to say to Elizabeth, um, you know, <laughs> because in a couple weeks, can you imagine what's happening Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Does God keep his word? This beautiful woman, all of a sudden she's pregnant. She, it says she kept herself hidden for five months, and there's all these guesses about why that is. We're not really told. It makes sense to me. Wouldn't you want to kind of keep that to yourself until you really knew it was legit? Until you're really, like, out of the first trimester? Until you're, you're like, established? And then she walks out, and can you imagine the whole community just being like, <laughs> What is up? Boy can't speak, but. <laughs> such joy, though. Wouldn't there be such joy? Scene three. And the scene one was, even good people walk through the darkness. We have to wait through the darkness. Scene two is, even in the darkness, God's word always comes true. Scene three is, because God's word comes true in his mercy, the sun rises for his people. The sun rises. The sun rose for Elizabeth, right? She said, he's taken away my reproach. What's reproach? Everybody looking at her going, 
Now everybody's looking at her going, (laughs) he's taken away my reproach. What joy for her. He's shown great mercy to her. God, the son also rose for Zechariah. I love this part, verse 59. The day came to circumcise the child. It was a boy, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Strong tradition, named the boy after the dad. Uh, he's got a priest mom, a priest dad, named him Zechariah. But his mom's having to direct traffic because old man can't hear her talk. And she's like, no, his name's John. And they said to her, now, do you have neighbors and in-laws like this? You don't have any relatives called by the name. I want to walk in and be like, look, the family gets to stinking name their kid. Leave them alone. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) But no, the neighbors. But wait. The in-laws, right? But wait. None of your relatives is called by his name. So they won't even listen to Elizabeth, poor lady. 62. They They make signs to his dad. Oh, well, what do you want to name him? I don't know what the sign is for that. For the priest. What do you want to name him? And he asked for a writing tablet. And it's, it's interesting to think about what Zechariah's been doing for nine months. He's been thinking about the angel. He's been getting his Old Testament. Because he's getting excited about this boy. He's been watching his wife's belly grow. And he's remembering the promises in Isaiah and Malachi and Daniel. And, he's re- and the echoes of Gabriel's words are ringing in his ears. And he's, he's like, he's getting a handle not only that, we haven't seen it, but uh, little, little Mary, who they know, she's been hanging out with Elizabeth, and something's going on there, too. You may have heard that story. If not, come back next week. Zachariah knows what's going on. And so they say, what's his name? He asked for a writing tablet. <laughs> writes in big letters, I think. What's he write? Verse 63. His name is John. And they all wondered. Yeah, wait. 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loose and he spoke blessing God. He hasn't spoken or heard for nine months and now he's preaching it. And everybody's like. Hey, um, you think God's trying to draw your attention to something? Do you think God was trying to draw their attention to something? I'm keeping my promises. I'm coming. And the prophet who's gonna come before me Right here, he's coming. Why did God in his sovereignty let it be that they wouldn't have a kid for however long and think they were never gonna have one? Because that suffering, what did it do to the story of this baby? It highlighted the miraculousness of it. Only God could do this. One reason Zachariah couldn't hear her speak for nine months, everybody knows And then all of a sudden, when he obeys, when he obeys the angel, his name is John, he obeys, he places his faith in the word, all of a sudden he speaks. What did that lead to? Again, everybody heard, everybody saw. God's working. This is is out of our hands. This is bigger than we thought. Another thing to take home. When you're in the night, the darkness, the suffering, and you're being faithful, I wouldn't hope to explain every reason for why that's happening. But do you see here how God uses their suffering to highlight what he's doing? Their suffering, their walking through the darkness is part of the message of his grace. It's part of the miraculous nature of of what he's doing. And I think it's the same way in our lives. We have a promise God works everything for the good of those who love him. And he's working everything in our lives for his glory. So, so that darkness, that night you're walking through, it's cold and lonely and confusing. We know, I don't know how in detail, but we know God wants to use that to highlight his glory and his goodness. That's what he's doing here. So we'll close with this last section, Zechariah's prophecy. Scene one was, hey, even good folks have to wait through the dark. Scene two is, even in the darkness, God's word is always true. It always comes through. And scene three is, mercy is mentioned here, I think, four times. Because God is so merciful, the sun will rise for his people. We watched it rise for Elizabeth. She has a baby. We watched it rise for Zachariah. He can hear. He can speak. He's praising God. And not only that, the sun will rise for all God's people because of his mercy. 
just to highlight a few points. What's Zechariah doing? You know, the first part of this prophecy, he praises God for what God is going to do. The second part is he's pro- proclaiming what his son will do, John the Baptist, to be part of that. But just look, one huge theme here, verse 70, verse 72. Zechariah is praising God because God keeps his promises. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. Everything that's happening, you know, this prophecy's got like the whole Old Testament wrapped up in one poem. It's hard to go through. It's just full of stuff. But a main point is, what is God, what is God doing? He's keeping his promises. Promises to Abraham, promises through all the prophets. He's doing it right now. Not only that, a second point, God is visiting. He's visiting. Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Not only that, John the Baptist will be a precursor. He will come, and who will come after him? God himself in the flesh. That leads us to uh, cousin Jesus. Look what else Zechariah is talking about, verses 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up, what? A horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Uh, There's lots of funny images like this in the Bible. You got the, um, you ever, remember in Isaiah, you got the stump of Jesse? You ever read that and go, What? Well, who's Jesse? Big Bible story. David's dad. What was promised to David? An enduring legacy, a dynasty. King would reign forever. What happened to that tree of the Davidic kingdom? Chopped down, nothing but an old stump. It looks dead. And then all of a sudden, in the right time, what's growing off off the side of it? This little branch. And using biblical terms, that branch becomes a tree or becomes a horn. What's a horn? Agriculture, society, what animals have horns? Big, strong bulls and goats, horns. And what does a horn do? You fight and you win. It's a powerful king. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. What does that mean? The promised Messiah, the Davidic king, the one who will reign and rule forever, is here in Mary's belly. The promised king, the visit of the Lord himself, and Jesus will bring the sunrise. Look at verses 77 to 79. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And this is just the most special line, and I can't even do it justice. Because of the tender mercy of our God. What's tender mean? Soft, kind, compassionate. What's mercy mean? It's the help for the weak. It's him showing up for you in your dark time. It's him being there. The tender mercy of our God, whereat, and what comes? Whereby the sunrise shall visit. The darkness begins to fade. The light begins to shine. The glow comes. You know what's crazy about light and dark? Have you ever seen light lose? You're in a dark room, you light a match. It's light. Light always wins. When the light's on, it wins. Darkness can't stand the light. It can't can't beat it. And Jesus, of course, what did he say about himself in other places? I am the light of the world. And I know it's cheesy. You can't help but make the play on words. Just like the sun will rise in the darkness, the sun will rise from the grave. Here's what's beautiful. Forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Where do you see the tender mercy of our God more beautifully than in Jesus Christ himself? What did he do when he came? He's touching the untouchable. He's visiting with the people nobody wants to be with. 
He's reaching out to the outsiders. He's including people who aren't included by anybody else. Not only that, he's living the life we could never live. Perfect life of obedience to the Father. And what did he endure on the cross? You know what John calls it in his gospel. Night. Darkness. Jesus took the ultimate darkness. Being forsaken by his Father, in our place, he rose from the dead in victory. To sum this up, can we promise that you'll have a sunrise in every circumstance of your life? Heartbreakingly, it do, this doesn't mean that if you're infertile, you're gonna have a kid. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that if you have a disease, it won't, it won't kill you. It doesn't mean that. Does he visit our circumstances sometimes? Haven't we? Don't we have stories and stories of God's provision? You bet. But even if he doesn't deliver us from every darkness in this life, haven't we seen this passage? He'll use it for good. He'll use it for good. And at the end of the tunnel, guess what's there? Light. Because in Jesus' resurrection, what's the story for each of us? The sun will rise. The sun will rise. The sun will rise. So what are you gonna take home with you today? Good people have to wade through darkness, don't they? One thing to take home, keep praying. You've been praying for something, you, don't think, you feel like God's not hearing it? What does the story remind you of? He's hearing it. Sometimes he answers prayers in a big way after a long time of waiting, sometimes. Second thing to take home with you, God's word is always true even in the darkness. It seems like he's not there. It seems like he's not acting. His word comes true. We saw it here, didn't we? It comes true. What should you do? Trust his word. Know his word. Trust his word. Best one, who is the God who's visited us in his tender mercy to bring us to sunrise? Jesus Christ, so full of mercy for you, so full of kindness for you, that he would live the life you could never live to make you right with God, that he would die on the cross in your place to earn your forgiveness, that he would rise from the dead to accomplish your adoption, your salvation. The sun always rises for those who belong to Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's trust God. After we pray, we'll take up our offering, and then we'll celebrate God's visitation for us as we take the Lord's Supper together. Our great God, we, uh, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that even in the darkness, you're faithful, you're true, you keep your promises. We thank you for all the many sunrises in our lives as you come through for us, you protect us, you sustain us, you bless us, and we thank you most of all for that ultimate sunrise, that because Jesus rose from the dead, we are yours, and we're free to belong to you, to know you, to trust you, to live faithfully as your people. Thank you that you have come through for us. You have visited us. You've set us free. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.